he's good. And the it's about seventeen thirties. There was these two men from around Germany who uh, one of their the names was Leonard and David and uh, German last name, so I'm not even going to try. Um, and they felt they felt the Lord calling them to be missionaries to the West Indies, which is now the West Indies. Um, but the, the island they felt the Lord was calling them, it was actually a slave island. And, you know, they... they they talk like, like anybody that feels the call of the Lord, you should confirm it before you go do whatever you're going to do. Like, there is wise people. You should get counsel before, you know, selling everything and, and, and going. But, you know, you get counsel. But this time, <laughs> counsel that they sought um, no, you can't. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. You're gonna die. You can't even get to the island. It was a slave island. It's not like you can just motorboat over and land and say, "I'm here to preach the gospel." Not gonna work. So they. They kept going and they had prayer meetings. They sought counsel in the community they were in. And they were reading um, in the book of Numbers, Numbers ch uh, chapter 23, 19, it says, Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? They felt the call of the Lord to go to this place. Um, slave island and they decided you know we're going to go we're going to leave our families Leonard and David we're going to leave everything we have so they talked to some people and they said we will get you on a ship to the island but what happens there it's not our responsibility So they decided, they said, there was actually three of them. One person decided, I'm not going anymore. But Leonard and David, they decided the only way, if God's calling us to preach to the slaves on this island, the only way that that can happen is if I and we become slaves ourselves. So they sold themselves into slavery. 
so that they could preach the gospel on, I believe it's called St. Thomas, an island in the West Indies somewhere. That's where they went. They sold themselves into slavery so they could preach the gospel. They felt the call of the Lord. So they went. But you see, that's unheard of now. What person in their right mind in today's North American church would sell everything, leave their families, leave their wives, and sell, them in, sell themselves into slavery for the gospel. The church, and I really try not to be critical of the North American church. Because FYI, the Lord loves the North American church. He loves the people in the North American church. The same when he sent... In, in the end of in Revelation, when he sent the letters to the churches, he was correcting them, but it was because he loved them. The North American church, we have become so self-centered, and we haven't even realized it. It's become all about me. It's become, what do I like? What do I like? Oh, I didn't like worship today. It was too fast. It was too slow. It was too long. It was too short. Francis Chan says, that's fine. We weren't worshiping you anyways. I didn't like the speaker. He yells. He sings. He does backflips. I don't know. If you see me do a backflip, the Holy Spirit's in the place. We better fall on the face. But it's become about us. But it's... And, and this, this culture, I, I was looking at Indigo... Um, the other day, and I was thinking, you know, I've been pondering this message of, of, of the church being so self-centered. And then I look at the indigo, at the indigo, I look at the books in indigo under the religion section, and this is what I find. How to live a good life. Living fully. A pity party is still a party. That's a good one. Here's one from an author. I'm not going to name, but you've heard of him. He's a pastor. Unleash the untapped power inside of you. 
Life on purpose. I look, I'm looking at these books because I'm waiting for a friend and I'm reading. And there's not one mention of Jesus on the front or back. We've become self-help. We, we become, we need to do it ourselves. And it's been like that since the beginning of time. People have been self-centered. I'm going to take you today to the book of Numbers. And if you're like me, you're like, where's the book of Numbers? I only really learned there was a book of Numbers six months ago. I'm joking. But, you know, it's confusing. There's a lot of numbers. If you're like, I have dyscalculia. They get all jumbled up and it's like, oh my goodness. But the book of Numbers is really a book on the faithfulness of God to his people of Israel. I want to give you a little bit of context because context matters. Context matters. The, the book of Numbers, if you're looking for it, you can open there with me. It's, in the, it's the fourth book of the Bible. Um, it's a book written after Moses took the people of Israel out of Egypt. And they're now traveling in the wilderness for 40 years. Looking and waiting for the promised land. The land that was promised to them by God. They're on the hunt for it. So we look at Numbers 21, if you want to open with me to there, uh, sorry, chapter 21, thank you, Freddie, verse number three, or verse number four, it says this, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go to Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, what have you, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. I've always, you know, if, I don't know what, you know, if there's streets in heaven and we kind of have our own houses, like, I think Moses will be like probably close to Jesus. He's on Jesus' street. You know, because he literally had the worst congregation of ever. Like, you bring them out of slavery, now we're going to complain that we're free. Anyways, that's a tidbit. Don't quote me. I have no back, like, theological standing on that. That's just my thought. Um, hmm. Then the Lord, 
Yes. <laughs> I wish I had a snake. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed. To, uh, praise for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake, put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a, bra- a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Does that... It's a medical symbol. But it also kind of sounds like something that happened in the New Testament. Jesus actually, Jesus actually in John chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me now, John chapter 3, he's talking um, to Nicodemus. He's talking to Nicodemus, you know, kind of, if you watch The Chosen, you know, it's a great episode. When he talks to Nicodemus and he goes in the, the darkness of the night and, and Nicodemus says, how can you know, we be saved? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. And then the chosen like, well, you know, how do I go back into my mother? And Jesus says, no, that's not the point. But in this conversation, you're going to see Jesus say, let me just find it. Verse 14, it says, just as Moses, Jesus is speaking, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then it goes into the verse that every Christian under the sun can quote. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It says, for God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but save the world through him. The Israelites, they were confused. They didn't understand what they had. They didn't understand that that Moses literally took them out of captivity. And Moses was waiting on the Lord to bring them to a land that was promised to them. And they're complaining. They're saying, we don't have water we don't, you know, we don't, we don't have food. And for 40 years, they go on this thing of complaining. But you see, here's a, th- here's a thought. You ever wonder why Moses took is- the, the, the Israelites to Mount Sinai before he took them to the promised land? Why 
did Moses take them to Mount Sinai before he took them to the promised land? I think it's because if he would have took them to the promised land, they would have idolized the land they were on. But instead, he took them to Mount Sinai so that they could have an encounter with the promiser. So that they could see the promiser. So that they could understand the promiser. So that they could see the power of God. Instead of taking them to this place where they might have said, oh, this is the promised land. Instead of them looking down to the land, Moses says, I'm going to take you to Mount Sinai so you can look up to the promiser. And Jesus is saying in John chapter 3, you know, the Son of Man is not down here, he's up here. And the Son of Man is going to be up here on the cross. He's going to be high and lifted up like we sang this morning. Jesus draws this parallel in John chapter 3 to Moses lifting the snake and, that, the, and that, that he would save the Israelites from the deadly disease. It wasn't a snake bite this time. It was sin. Jesus died on a cross so that we may have life and have it to the full. But for us to have life and to have it in uh, have it, have life and have it to the full, that means we have to die to ourselves. We have to get out of the way. We have to say, God, instead of me being lifted up, I'm going to remove myself. And I'm going to look to the cross. I'm going to look to the one who literally paid it all. Look to the one who hung upon a tree for me. So that I might have life. He died so that I might have life and have it to the full. But we get stuck in this idea that I have to do it myself. That I have to, to do it just alone. And I have to be a, have a pity party because it's still a party apparently. But Jesus says, no, just as the Son of Man was lifted up, you, you need to look. You have to shift your gaze from the situation you are in and look to the cross. Scripture tells us to look to the cross. You know how important the cross is? I was telling the youth about this on Thursday.
Paul tells us that he did not come with with these big words and all this wisdom. But the only thing he knows is Jesus Christ and him what? Crucified. That's it. That's all. And where we get in trouble is we have preachers and we have pastors in the Broad Sea Church, people that you might even listen to that are so focused on, oh, I got to do step A, step B, step C, step D, and I'm going to get butts in the church. I got to do this, this, and this. I got to keep the people happy. What would happen if Moses kept the people happy? They probably not would have gone to the promised land. But Paul's telling us, he says, you know, Paul was a smart dude. He was trained. But Paul was saying, he says, I'm going to forget everything. I'm going to forget everything but Jesus and him crucified. I'm going to forget the formulas on how to build a church. I'm going to forget the steps of how to deliver people. I'm going to forget everything and I'm going to focus on Jesus and him crucified because the thing is, it's all about Jesus. Anything that separates, yeah, every, anything that separates us from the one who died for us is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. Galatians 2 says that I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Colossians 3, 3 tells us, For you died and your life is now hidden in Christ God. It is hidden. It's hidden. Just, you know... There's this movement in, in the North American church. I guess it's not really a movement. It's a de-movement called deconstruction. Where I'm going to deconstruct my faith. I'm going to find the truth. I was hurt by people in the church. I'm not going back. You know, I I don't understand why I, I went through this. 
I was hurt, but it says in Colossians, here's what it says. It says, your life is now hidden with God. So if you're building your life on the opinions and the experiences of church and man, no wonder your faith is rocky. But Colossians tells us that your life is hidden with Christ. That means when I build my life on Christ and Him crucified, nothing can shake it. Because I know who He is. And I know what He's done. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Mark 8 says, And calling to the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to him, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 1 Corinthians 15 says, for, all, for, as, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I remember the baseline to everything. If you don't get anything out of this morning, but this one thing, that's enough. It's this. The cross is the ultimate display of Christ's love for you. That's it. If you get anything out of the morning, understand that the cross is Christ's ultimate love for you. Because it's all about love. It's all about His love. I remember going to harvest school and really understanding the love that Jesus has, that he would literally come. He would literally, when I would ask him, it was, you know, I grew up in church. I grew up in church, but at harvest school, I understood that when I would ask Jesus to come visit me, he would come. In a world of eight billion people, he would come visit me. That's how much he loved me. The God of the universe, the Son of Man, will come to you when you ask Him. Sometimes He might come and lovingly correct you. Sometimes it might, He might come as a still, small voice 
Sometimes he might come like the Apostle Paul in a road to Damascus moment where you hear this loud voice of the Lord. But the thing is, he will come. In your situation, when you think you're all alone, he will come to you. And it's countercultural because the culture is telling you you have to do it. You have to read all these books. You have to go to this. You have to go to that. And I'm not saying counseling is bad. I'm not saying, you know, CR is bad. I'm not saying anything. But if you're going to those things and not going to the one who loves you, there's an issue. First, you need to go to the one that loves you. Then, he will use the other things. Galatians 5 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Philippians 1 tells us, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Romans 8 says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Second Corinthians says, and, for he, and, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. First Peter 2 says, He bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we may die to sins, and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Ephesians 2 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You can't do it. It is nothing. I... (laughs) I don't think I ever finished the thought about what I was telling the youth. I was telling them. I literally pulled out my job description. Four pages. That was just one job. I can do all of the things on my job description. You know, I can't even remember what it says. But I know I can do it all. But the thing is, if I'm not pointing the teens to the Jesus Christ and him crucified, I'm not doing my job. As a pastor, our job is not to coddle you. Our job is not to, you know make you feel better by through our own strength. It's not to be burden carriers for you. That's not our job. That's not my job. It's not Tracy's job. It's not Freddie's job. Our job is not to disciple you in, uh, into, you know, some big thing. Our job is to point you to the cross. Our job is to point you 
to the person who died on the cross and allow them to disciple you. Jesus will disciple you. When you're intimate with him, he will disciple you. We will come alongside you and help you and point out and give you some things, but ultimately it's not us because we're not going to stand beside you at the end of the day and say, oh, I'm sorry, didn't make them read the Bible more. Our job as pastors is to point you to what Paul says, to Jesus Christ and to him crucified. So that he can be in your situation. That he, because it's through his stripes that you become healed. It's not through mine. Heather, if you want to make your way up. Your soul longs to draw near to him. This longing is talked about in scripture. It says, hide me in the shadow of your wings. This is one thing that we should all be seeking. And it's like I said, it's a treasure that cannot be stolen from us. The treasure that the Lord has placed inside of you is not dependent on man or on woman, on your circumstances. It's dependent on Jesus because it's all about him. It's all about him. He's the one that hides you in the shadow of his wings. When you discover the love that he has for you, your heart will begin to cry out, I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. It's a sacred gem. It's a precious thing when you understand his love for you. When you embrace Jesus, he welcomes you. And it's a privilege. People might spread falsehoods about you. People might tarnish your reputation. People might take your possessions. They might lie about you. They might persecute you. But when you understand the love of God, it's not something they can take from you. It's not something they can take from you. The love of God is the one thing in your life that someone can't take because they didn't put it in there to begin with. You may wonder, shouldn't I do more with my life than just loving Jesus? What about loving others? What about aiding humanity? What about pursuing my dreams? 
But friends, if you truly love Jesus, all these pursuits will flow out of you naturally. St. Augustine said this, love and then do as you please. Love for Jesus is the wellspring of serving him. Your love for him compels you to act in accordance with his desires. The one who loves the Lord is averse to causing offense. A love for God is the key to casting off sin in your life. For as Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. During worship, I had someone come to me and say that he is making a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That is the love of Jesus. That's how much he loves you. In a time when you might think you're being circled by enemies, by things, Jesus says, I'm making you a table in the presence of your enemies. This morning, I believe the Lord wants to reveal his face to people. Song of Solomon says that he will help you find his love. So why don't you stand with me? We're doing good. I'm early. If the ministry teams want to make their way forward... by his stripes that you are healed it's by his spirit that you are set free it's by his love that you become changed so this morning I would just want to ask if there's anybody in here that just needs to be have the face of Jesus revealed to him because he's going to do it he will do it because he loves you if you have a situation in your life that you don't know what to do you feel hopeless if you have a, a, a thing in your body that you need healing for come forward if you need prayer in any way if you just need if you're saying I just need to see his face 
If you're saying, I just need Jesus Christ and Him crucified this morning, I want to offer you a chance to see that. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to read a letter. It's somebody's taken scriptures out of the Bible and wrote a letter. And it's really a letter of His love to you. And then after that, Heather's going to lead us into another song. If you have to go, please be released. But if you need prayer for something this morning, don't leave without getting prayer. The Spirit wants to do something with you this morning. Just put, close your eyes to do something in a way of receiving. It says this, it says, my child, I know everything about you, Psalms 138. I knew you before you were even born, Jeremiah 1. I knit you together in, the, in your mother's womb, Psalms 139. You were not a mistake for all your days are written in my book, Psalms 139. I am not a distant and angry, but I am the complete expression of love, 1 John 4. And it is my desire to lavish my love on you, 1 John 3. Simply because you are my child and I am your father, Matthew 7. Every good gift that you receive comes from my hand, James 1. My plan for your future has always been filled with hope, Jeremiah 29. You are my treasured possession, Exodus 19. When you are broken hearted, I am close to you, Psalms 34. As a shepherd carries a lamb, I have carried you close to my heart, Isaiah 40. One day I will wipe every tear from your eyes, Revelation 21. And I'll take away all the pain you have suffered on this earth, Revelation 21. Jesus died so that you and I could be reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5. His death was the ultimate expression of my love for you. 1 John 4. And nothing will ever separate you from my love again. Romans 8, 31. I've always been father and I will always be father. Ephesians 3. Come home and I'll throw the biggest party heaven has ever seen. Luke 15. So Father, this morning, Father, Scripture tells us you call people to yourself. You call people to yourself. So Father, as we go into just one last time of seeking your face, Father, I just ask for courage to be in this place today. 
for people to have courage if they need prayer to come get prayer father it says where two or more gathered you are with us Jesus' name, amen.